music. Please take your Bibles and uh, turn tonight to Luke chapter 1. Third book of the New Testament, Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading uh, verses 57 through 66. If you are uh, visiting tonight, uh, we are taking a break currently during the Christmas season from what we've been doing in the morning and the evenings. We've been in Revelation in the morning, we've been in Matthew in the evenings, but uh, we're taking a break and we're kind of parking ourselves in the Gospel of Luke for the next few weeks. And uh, this morning we looked at Mary's song. Next Sunday morning, Lord willing, we will look at Zechariah's song. And so uh, I thought that tonight we would look at the, uh, the passage that is sandwiched between those two songs, and that is the account of the birth of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. If you've spent uh, time reading scripture, uh, you know that the Bible is filled with a lot of interesting people. Some of the interesting people are very well known to most people. Uh, Samson, David, Jonah, Paul, Peter, many others. Others are, are not so well known. You have a guy like Ehud, the um, left-handed judge from the book of Judges. You have a woman by the name of J.L. who was the woman in the book of Judges who drove a tent peg through Sisera's head. Uh, there's also Simon the Magician from the book of Acts. And, and you could probably think of many, many other characters in the Bible who are very interesting characters. One of the most interesting and one of the most significant is John the Baptist. John is especially memorable to us for a couple of reasons. First of all, John was a very fiery preacher. John came right out and, and said what needed to be said. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We, we certainly wouldn't mistake John for being a, a proponent of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel uh, he preached the necessity of repentance, turning from sin, turning from self-righteousness, calling out to God for mercy. And so we know John as a fiery preacher. We also know John, though, because he had a very strange wardrobe and an even stranger diet. Children, you might remember that John had a shirt that was made out of camel's hair. Imagine wearing a, a shirt that's made out of the hair of a camel. And for his diet, he ate locusts and wild honey. 
Children, I bet very few of you have ever gone to your mom or dad and said, I'm really hungry, can I have some locusts to eat? It's not common. And so we, we know John for these two things. But we don't want these things to obscure the fact that, that John the Baptist was a very important figure in redemptive history. John is what was known as a herald, H-E-R-A-L-D. A herald was a, a very common thing in the ancient world. For example, for example, leaders of, of nations would send their herald into another nation that they were intending to conquer. And, and the herald would go in before the army and, and he would say, so-and-so's army is coming. Submit or, or you will suffer the consequences. In addition to this, before the arrival of a great king into a certain city, his herald would show up first and he would announce that this great king is coming. Now these heralds carried with them tremendous authority because they spoke on behalf of the king. And a herald would typically dress in, in very regal clothing. He would, he would look very royal. He would be followed by the king's army. He would even have the king's emblem with him so that everyone knew he spoke on behalf of the king. Tonight, we read about the birth of a somewhat different herald. He's not going to wear regal clothing. He's not going to have a powerful army with him. But he will herald the greatest king ever, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now Matthew and Mark and John all tell us about John the Baptist's ministry. But only Luke speaks of his birth. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And we want to look at two things in this passage. First of all, the people rejoice in John's birth. And there's a reason for that. And secondly, Zechariah believes God's promise. Passage begins by telling us that the time has come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gives birth to a son. Now, what do we know about John's parents? What do we know about Zechariah and Elizabeth? If you have your Bible open, go back for just a moment to verse 6 of chapter 1. Notice what it says in verse 6. It says, And they, Elizabeth and Zechariah, were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. This is a godly couple. This is a righteous couple. Not perfect, of course. But they have no children. Elizabeth is barren, and, and now they're both old. But in an unexpected twist, God promises to bless Elizabeth with a child. The angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, and, and notice what he says in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now in a moment, we're going to look at Zechariah's response to this announcement. But, but eventually the time comes and Elizabeth gives birth to her son and we're told that the whole town and all of her relatives celebrate this great event. Now this is very normal, isn't it? A woman gives birth to a child and her family and her friends and her acquaintances rejoice. When we know that there is a birth in our, our congregation, we rejoice and we give thanks to the Lord. 
And in the case of Elizabeth, this is an extra special occasion because she didn't think that she and Zechariah could have children. She's barren. She's old. But now she has a son. And verse 58 reminds us, it is the Lord who has done this. You know, brothers and sisters, it is important to remember that this is always the case. Every time a baby is born, every time a new covenant child is added to our church, we rejoice in what God has done. As Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. And so there is this, there is this Godward focus to our passage. That the people don't come up to Elizabeth and say, Elizabeth, you're so lucky. Finally, you have a child. They don't come up to Elizabeth and say, you know, Elizabeth, Mother Nature has, has really smiled upon you in giving you this child. No, they know where to direct their praise and their thanks. We celebrated a baptism this morning. And as Josiah was baptized, we rejoice as a congregation. We rejoice with Justin and Nicole, and we give thanks to God for the birth of this little boy. It's a gift from God. Children, you all are a gift from God. And as parents, as Christians, it's always important that we remember where to direct our thanks. Here, the people rejoice. They give thanks to God. Because God has been merciful to Elizabeth in, in, in blessing her with a son. Well, when John is eight days old, we notice that it's time for him to be circumcised. As you may know, this, um, this was the sign of God's covenant of grace at the time, commanded in Genesis chapter 17. And John was the son of a covenant family, and, and so he was to be given the sign of the covenant. And it's at this time that he would be given his name. Now, now giving a child their name at their circumcision was not a biblical command. It's important to understand that. But apparently it was the practice in that day. That's just what they did. When your son was circumcised, you would give them their name. And the expectation in that day is that that son who was being circumcised would be given the name of his father. And so everyone is gathered for this. Everyone is gathered for this circumcision event. And they're, they're expecting that, that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to say, our son's name is Zechariah. But while everyone gathers for this circumcision, Elizabeth speaks up. And she says, no, we're, we're not naming him Zechariah. We're going to name him John. Now, we notice that the people who are gathered there don't get this. They, they say, you can't name him that. None of, your, none of your relatives are named John. And to go against Jewish custom was a, a, a very much unheard of in that day. Now, if you didn't know the backstory, you, you might be asking the question right now, well, why isn't Zechariah saying anything? Why, why is Elizabeth doing all the speaking? Well, it's because Zechariah can't speak. Children, do you know why Zechariah can't talk right now? It's because he didn't believe God's promise. Gabriel, the angel, came to Zechariah and he told him, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a child. And Gabriel told Zechariah, this child will be great. He will be a great man who will be mightily used by the Lord. But Zechariah didn't believe him. Zechariah said, come on. How can this be? I'm an old man. My wife is an old woman. I don't believe this. 
And so Gabriel says to Zechariah, he says, look, I've been sent by God to you to deliver this news to you. But because you don't believe me, because you don't believe God's promise, you will not be able to speak for your wife's entire pregnancy. Now, some wives might rejoice at that. That's why Elizabeth is doing all the talking. Zechariah can't speak. Well, the friends and the relatives who are gathered for this circumcision are are probably saying to themselves, we need to get Zechariah's opinion on this. We need to hear what he thinks. Maybe maybe the wife, maybe Elizabeth has gone rogue. And and, and we need to talk some sense into her. Maybe Zechariah will talk some sense into her. And that brings us to really the, the central part of this passage where Zechariah believes God's promise. Notice what we're told in verse 62. These people start making signs to Zechariah. Apparently, they're they're trying to communicate with him through sign language. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but it's possible that, that Zechariah can't, not only can't he speak, but he also can't hear at this time. And so they need to use sign language. And so the people are using some kind of sign language, and they're asking him, Zechariah, what do you think? What what do you want to name your son? And so Zechariah says, give me something to write on. I want a writing tablet. And they bring it to Zechariah and he writes, his name is John. Literally, in the original language, it says this, John is the name of him. The very first word Zechariah writes is John. There's no hesitation, there's no equivocation. He's straight and to the point. He doesn't say, well, we're still discussing this. We're thinking about naming me John, but we don't know for sure. He doesn't write, well, I'd really like to name him Zechariah, but I don't want to sleep on the couch for the next two months, and so we're leaning towards John. He doesn't say any of that, does he? Zechariah believes the promise of God. And he walks in obedience to that promise and he says, John is his name. By the way, one commentator makes a very interesting point. He says that it's good for us to take note of the meanings of the names of the people in this passage. Because the meaning of the names of these people help tell the whole story of the Christmas season. Elizabeth means... God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful in fulfilling his promise to send a savior. Zechariah means God remembers. God remembers the promise he made all the way back in Genesis. Children, do you remember that promise? Genesis chapter three, verse 15. God said he would send someone to save his people from their sins. And John means God is merciful. God doesn't give guilty sinners what they deserve. Rather, through Jesus, he showers the gift of salvation upon his people. And so tonight, as we we read this account, as we remember the event of John the Baptist's birth and, and circumcision, let the meanings of these names remind you tonight of how good God has been to you. 
God is so faithful, isn't he? He's so faithful. Not one of his promises will ever fail to come to pass. God remembers. He he remembers his promises. He he remembers our weakness and our frailty. He, He knows each one of his children by name. Knows everything you're going through. Every trial, every struggle. He remembers. He knows you. And God is so merciful to us. Children, do you know what do you know what mercy means? Mercy means that God doesn't give us what we deserve. I stand before you tonight and I deserve judgment. I deserve God's eternal punishment because of my sin. And that's true of every person in this room, that's true of every human being who's ever lived. We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath. But instead of that, we receive mercy. God withholds from us what we really do deserve. And because of Jesus, he gives us the forgiveness of our sins. He adopts us into his family. He gives us, as we read already in the catechism, he gives us the Holy Spirit to each one of us personally who will remain with us forever. And he gives us eternal life. Wow, what what amazing truths are contained just in those names. Well, Zechariah writes, John is his name, and the people are astonished. I want you to think about Zechariah for just a moment. Isn't this a great reminder that, that God works in different ways with different people? Isn't this a great reminder that, you know, not not everyone learns and grows at exactly the same pace? If, If you came, for example, to Christ later in life, you know this to be true. Maybe there was some point early in your life you heard the gospel, maybe you were taken to church, but you didn't believe. You heard it, you heard the message, you heard the truth, but you rejected it. It kind of went in one ear and out the other ear. It didn't take root in your heart. But one day, the Holy Spirit did a powerful work in your heart and he brought you to embrace Jesus as your Savior. You you were in a sense like Zechariah. At first you didn't believe. But one day God brought you to saving faith. And this account is is a great reminder to us that the Lord is so patient with us. Zechariah says to Gabriel, come on, Gabriel, how is this going to happen? I'm old, my wife is old, it's not possible for us to have children. And when he says this, Gabriel doesn't go, okay, that was your chance. God's done with you. I'm moving on to someone else. I'm so thankful for the Lord's patience. So thankful for the Lord's kindness to us. Now, others of you here tonight, and and maybe that's a good number of you, others of you here tonight were born to Christian parents. And you were brought up in the church. Maybe you were baptized as a baby. You went to church every Sunday. Maybe you went to Christian school. And, And you look at your life tonight, you look back on your life, and you say to yourself, you know what? 
I don't know, I don't remember a time I didn't believe in Jesus. All the days of my life, I've believed him as my savior. But that too, if that's true of you, that too is by God's grace. That's his gracious work in your life. The point is that God works in different ways with different people. He works according to his plan and according to his timetable. Zechariah writes, John is his name. He, he shows that he now trusts and he believes the promise of God. And you notice what happens. Verse 64, immediately he can speak again. And now that he can speak, the first words out of his mouth are not, man, it's about time. I can't believe God did that to me. It, it's not even can I get a glass of water? The very first words out of his mouth are praise of God. And I will say to you tonight that this is, this is the natural response to believing the promises of God. Doctrine, one of, one of you and I talked about this earlier today, doctrine leads to doxology, doesn't it? Doctrine, the truth of God, the truth of Scripture, leads to doxology. It leads to praise and to worship. This is why, for example, our worship services must be rooted in and saturated with the Word of God. It's the truth of Scripture that moves us to praise. It's the truth of Scripture that fuels our worship. You see, if we don't know who God is and if we don't know what he's done for us, our worship will be nothing more than shallow emotionalism. One of the things that I point out to every membership class that I teach here is that it's very important to realize that, that God's word is heard and read all throughout our worship services. And there's a reason for that. It's, it's not just tradition, it's because we believe that the word of God affects our hearts. The word of God moves us to worship. The, the, the call to worship is from the Bible. The greeting is from the Bible. The reading of the law, from the Bible. The assurance of pardon, from the Bible. The benediction, from the Bible. The songs we sing, either from the Bible or based on the Bible. It's the Bible, it's truth. As we see in the life of Zechariah, it's truth that fuels our praise. Zechariah knows the truth of God's promise. He believes God's promise. And as soon as he can speak, he gives praise and thanks to God. And it's not just Zechariah. If you look at verse 65, it says, Fear came on all their neighbors. This fear is a, a reverential awe. The people are in awe of what happened. Children, imagine you lived back at this time. And, and imagine that, that you knew that there was this older couple who couldn't have children. They were well advanced in years. And all of a sudden, they have a child. And, and you knew that, that God had shut the mouth of the father because he didn't believe God's promises. But all of a sudden, Zechariah could speak again. And you would see very clearly that God is at work here. God is at work and fear, reverential awe is often the response that people have when God is at work. 
And verse 65 tells us that people are talking about this all through the area. This is the topic of conversation. Verse 66, they, they ask, what then will this child be? What will this child become? And we know what he became. He became John the Baptist, the herald of the great king, the herald of our savior. The point is that Zechariah and Elizabeth believe the promise of God and they rejoice. Doctrine leads to doxology. To put it another way, a believed promise leads to praise. A believed promise leads to praise. Now let's face it, um, this was a unique event in redemptive history. John was a unique man in redemptive history. But 2,000 years later, there is still application for us today. You might say, I wish God would give me promises like he gave to Zechariah. He has. He has given you promises. He's given us many wonderful promises in his word, and you and I are called, like Zechariah, we are called to believe those promises. And I will say to you that as we do that, as we embrace them, as we know them, as we believe in them, it leads us to praise and it leads us to worship. And so to close tonight, I want to think with you about some of the promises that God has given to his people. Now, several years ago, a man wrote a book, and the title of the book is All the Promises of the Bible. And in that book, which is kind of lengthy, he says that there are 7,147 promises that God has given to his people in the Bible. Don't worry, we're not going to cover 7,147 promises, but we are going to look at a couple of them. And so if you have your Bible handy, I'm going to ask you to turn to a few places, and I want to meditate on these, and I want, really what I want for us is I want this to, to again, fuel our worship. We don't just come to worship with empty heads. We want our heads and our hearts filled with scripture so that we will then worship God from the heart. So take your Bible and go to Isaiah chapter 41. We're gonna look at four or five of these promises and we will close with that. Isaiah 41. And when you get there, Isaiah 41, look at verse 10. By the way, did you know that the most common command in Scripture is do not fear? We have a tendency to fear. We have a tendency to be afraid. Notice verse 10, Isaiah 41. Fear not. Why? For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is our God. And, and he is with us to strengthen us, to help us, to uphold us. That's his promise. Do we believe that promise? Do we embrace that promise? Do we live our lives in light of that promise? Knowing that promise leads you to worship. Now go to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah 54, verse 10. 
Isaiah 54.10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. In other words, everything around you may be chaos. It may be turmoil. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Christian, you you may lose things in this life. You will never lose God's steadfast love. You will never lose his faithfulness. And again, doesn't that lead you to praise? Now go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus is speaking. It says these very familiar words, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's no rest. There's no rest in man-made religion. There's no rest on the treadmill of your good works. But when you come to Christ, when you trust his perfect life, death, and resurrection, that's true rest for your soul. Knowing that, again, leads us to praise. Two more. They're very familiar, but they're very comforting. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I know for some of you this is your favorite one or two verses in the whole Bible. Romans 8, verse 38. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, I want you to believe that promise tonight. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. One more, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, near the end of the Bible, 1 John 1. Some of you probably already know what I'm going to read. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no sin that is too black. There is no offense too grievous that God, through Jesus, cannot forgive. Now those are five or six promises. There's apparently 7,142 more. The point is that the word of God is filled with promises. And like Zechariah, you and I are called to believe those promises. We're called to believe those promises because they are sure, they are true. 
The Apostle Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. That means that they are sure. Because of Jesus, God's promises to you, Christian, will never fail. And when we meditate on those promises, when we believe those promises, when we live our lives in light of those promises, like Zechariah, gratitude and thanksgiving will well up in our hearts and our lips will show forth God's praise. May we meditate on them often and take them to heart so that our worship will be informed and fueled by who God is and by everything that he has done for us. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for your precious promises to us. Thank you for the gift of your son through whom these promises are sure for us. Help us, Lord, to meditate often on your word so that our worship will be informed and moved along by who you are and all that you have done for us and all that you promised to us.